scripture last week, Daniel chapter 2, and uh, we, today we're going to be looking at the interpretation, actually the dream and the interpretation, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not only did he have a dream that troubled him, and that's something when you have a king, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and he can't even remember what it was, but it terrified him. And Daniel will be the one that will be God will use to interpret it. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2 now, and we'll begin reading in verse 31. I'll actually start in verse 30. We'll bring us to a context. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 30. But as for me, this is Daniel speaking, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms were of silver, his belly and his thighs were of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest, till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength. And glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay and part of the iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever." Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we are humbled to come into your presence today. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to worship and to praise your name. And Father, now as we have these moments that we commit to you as we search the truth, as Father, truth is revealed to us, and Father, we ask that our relationship will have never been closer to you than these moments, that you will share truth with us. 
Father, we pray for each one that's here today, for they, their families, that may be afar off. We would ask that you especially lift them up. Hold them close to yourselves, Father, and to yourself, Father, and, and care for them in the very loving way that you are God. Thank you, Father, for what you will do in these moments before us. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would solely and completely, exclusively be our teacher. Take us where you want us to be as we again look to the Word of God, our source of truth, as we lift up you and glorify your name as you conform us to the image of your Son. And these things we ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 2, which was uh, probably uh, just a couple of days ago, actually it was 605 B.C. when Daniel, his friends, and those that were taken hostage from the southern kingdom of Judah. That uh, was 605 B.C. I'm doing math, that's about 2,600, 2,700 years ago. Long time ago. And yet, those that have said the Bible is not relevant haven't tuned in. Because it's amazing, this prophecy is the one that you must open. And you think of all prophecies in the scriptures, from Revelation, other ones in Daniel, Ezekiel, all of them really hinge upon chapter 2 of Daniel. This is the unfolding of the kingdoms that literally God showed to this man, Nebuchadnezzar, this king that he lifted up. Uh, that kingdom lasted for about 80 or 90 years. And it describes, and believe this or not, a, a, uh, a prophecy that's in place beginning, in, and this date here was probably about three years later. Chapter 1 was when Daniel and his friends were taken hostage, taken to Babylon, 900 miles away. They were probably 14 or 15 years of age. Right when everybody knows everything is at that 14 to 15 years of age. Correct? You've known kids like that, right? I've been one of those. It's amazing how much you know at 14 or 15 years of age. But think of that. Daniel and his friends would have been taken and taken to, a, to Babylon 900 miles away and then would be trained in the Babylonian traditions and literally gone through their college. We know that, that those three years have been completed, so they're probably now about 17 or 18 years of age when this chapter 2 takes place, which still blows my mind. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, my math, tells me that he's probably about 27 or 28 years of age ruling the world. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says that literally a dreams, it, it was dreams, plural, but there was one in particular that really, really bugged him. Now, have you ever had a dream that you woke up and it was like, oh, I hope that was a dream, right? It's really taken you back. And, but you can't quite remember all the details. You've been like that, haven't you? Well, uh, I was going to say Pharaoh. Nebuchadnezzar on this night had one just like that. And he called in his, uh, to review what we said, what we did last week very briefly. We want to keep moving on what we read today. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar called in the wise guys, all those people that were supposed to be the smartest people in the kingdom. And he brought them in and he said this. He says, men, I want you to tell me of this dream that has totally terrified me what it is. Well, they misunderstood, and they said, well, just tell us what the dream is, and then we will tell you the interpretation. Now, that's a lot easier. If somebody gives you a dream, you can make something up, can't you? I've heard that done as well. But he said, oh, oh no, you've missed the first part and the most important. You need to tell me what the dream is and then interpret it. Oh, there got silence in the room, didn't it? Well, no, 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 this is highly unusual. You, no, no, you must tell us the dream, then we will tell you the interpretation. And then he got irritated. He got angry. And a lot of times behind anger is fear. We find that a lot in our country today. 
a lot of anger that's being out there is because of fear of something that is unknown or something that they're very afraid of. But at any rate, uh, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, no, you're done. No more time, no more nothing. You take a hike. And in the meantime, then he says, you know what? I think I'm just going to kill all these guys. They're of no value to me anyway. They've been fooling and, and, and making nothing but nonsense for me, and we're going to get away. Well, that's fantastic, except Daniel and his friends, who had just completed college, weren't on that first escapade to go see the king. So can you imagine for a moment, won't take too much, uh, Daniel and his friends are probably who knows what. They were visiting, probably having a Bible study, and, oh, I wonder who that is. Let's go check it out. Well, hello, it's Arioch, the chief ex- executioner. Well, what, 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 what brings you here today, Arioch? Well, quite honestly, well, come on in, by the way. Come on in. Let's sit down for a cup of coffee. Uh, what, what brings you out today? Well, he says, quite honestly, I'm coming to, uh, to gather all of the wise men up. We're going to kill you. Well, for goodness sakes. Now, on our board, we, did, we didn't erase what we had last week. That would be classified as a crisis, would it not? <laughs> and Daniel, don't you love his composure? You find it, in, and, I'm, and I'm going rather quickly. What, last week we went over this, but he said, uh, well, what brought that about? Now, if I, was, if I had just been called I was going to be killed, I would see how fast I could outrun this guy and try to get as far away and as fast as I possibly could. But no, Daniel says, tell us about it. What, what brought this all about? That's composure, is it not? And so Arioch, now that's what most executioners do, is they take a lot of time to describe for the, for the victim that's up how this all is playing. Of course they don't. That's not normal. But if you notice that Daniel, even in chapter 1, his, his composure and his humility was so contagious that he made friends and complete comfort with those that he had that were his superior. Uh, we think of Eleazar. That's wrong. That's the wrong name. What was the guy in chapter 1? Uh, there's Melzar, and then there was... What was, that, what was that other guy? Somebody look it up real quick. Chapter 1. And then this guy now is Arioch. And, and believe this or not, Arioch just sits down and kind of relaxes and unfolds this whole drama of what had taken place with Nebuchadnezzar and the wise men, of which they knew nothing of. Oh, that's interesting. Well, for goodness sakes. Anybody find it yet? Ashpenaz, there we go, thank you. Ashpenaz, he was the, uh, he was the uh, prince of the, the ruler of the court, if you will, and he had made friends with him to begin with when they were changing their diet because it was against everything that they as Jews would have been permitted to eat. And that was a whole other escapade of which the composure and the, create, the, the courage that Daniel showed and his friends were over and above, they were on top. These two things right there, if you're a Christian today, if you've trusted Christ as Savior and you're living in America, these two things really need to be part of who you are, composure and courage. The next thing Daniel does, now I just told you that the wise guys came in to see Nebuchadnezzar. They said, tell us the dream, no problem, we will tell you the interpretation. No, you need to tell me everything. Well, we need time, and he blew up, and he just sent them packing. Now, here's Daniel, this 17, 18-year-old kid, I'm sorry, man, and he walks in to the king and says this. Oh, king, I understand that you have a dream. Now, if you will give us time, I know that God can reveal this to us. Now, what do you think, scale of 1 to 10, how's Nebuchadnezzar going to deal with that? That would be a zero, right? (laughs) It's not going to go well. But guess what? He says, oh, no problem. Go ahead, have some time. Now, that's amazing to me that God is fully and completely in control. When things look totally impossible, that was an impossible thing. He walks to the doors, ready to take their life. And by the end of a short time frame, not only was he granted time, but believe it or not, 
God granted him the wisdom, he and his companions, because he went home and you know what he did first is he gathered those friends around him and they communed in prayer. They lifted up the petition to prayer. God, show us what we need to know for this, for this situation. And he did. And they offered praise to God. That's one of the things we forget to do, isn't it? Often when God answers a prayer, when things go our way and things are really start to open up, what do we do? We head for the exit. We go as fast as we can. And then about three days later, oh, I should have thanked God for that. You'll find in chapter 2, the first part of it, he lifted up his, uh, they lifted up the words of praise immediately. That is a fantastic pattern to get into. And then on the way out, <laughs> he finds Arioch again. He says, I've got the answer. Oh, and by the way, don't hurt or kill those guys that didn't know the answer. Compassion. He was concerned about those that didn't care about him at all. And then, quite honestly, the thing that so speaks to me so loudly about Daniel, all through this book of Daniel, which you'll find, I think it's a wonderful place for us to be today, is a contrite heart. That means humility. Humility. One of the things we want to talk about today, because this is really a preface to Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays, because it really sets our hearts up. It really sets us up for who we need to be. Think of this. Thankfulness really, really accelerates humility. That's what made Daniel such a superb individual and character. Composure, courage, communion, praise, or commendation, compassion, a contrite heart, is he was a man of thankfulness, which we really need to be patterning our life after. So here you go now. Here comes Arioch. He's coming on the second go-round, and he says, Oh, king, I, I found the guy. I found the guy that can interpret the dreams, and I got him all by myself. I brought him to you. What do you think? And the king says, Daniel, can you really do that? <laughs> or Belteshazzar. They had named him, they gave him new names, too. And then that's where we just read, uh, Daniel said, yeah, it's not me, king, it's my God. My God has revealed this to me. In fact, I want to go back to chapter 1, verse 17 for just a second, because this is what really God had gifted these four, they're called children here, in verse 17, chapter 1. As for these four children, or young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Ah, that will come in handy when you've got a, uh, somebody that wants to take your head off. So here you go. Now he's going to reveal to the king the dream, and the interpretation. And the king, I think, is wondering if this could possibly be. Well, let's look now at what he sees. How, by the way, how confident would you be standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and you're going to tell him what his dream was? That was, apparently isn't our gift, probably, huh? But sure enough, in verse 31, he starts to unfold it. Now this, again, this, this is a remarkable thing. This is absolutely remarkable. Now, 2,600 years ago, literally, this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted. And do you know that it's not completed yet? Think of that. This dream, which unfolds the kingdoms, the empires of the world, the times of the Gentiles is what's really happening. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. See, in those three years that Daniel was training with the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, he would have learned a new language or at least become much more fluent in it. Aramaic. That's what the Assyrian kingdom would have made very popular. Well, in, in verse 4 of chapter 2, from that point on, all the way through chapter 7, which is talking about this times of the Gentiles, guess what it's written in? Aramaic. It's so cool when you find these little things that just fit together beautifully and synchronize. But now Daniel, 
is going to unfold one of the greatest prophecies that we could possibly even know about, and it hasn't even been completed yet. So let's watch and see what he says. Verse 31, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, it's very bright, stood before thee, and the form of it was terrible, as it says in the kings of the very outstanding, very awesome, very overwhelming. And then it goes on to say that the image's head was of fine gold. So if you think about, in your own mind, build a statue. I should have had Laramie put something here up on here so you could have, because I'm, I'm a sight kind of a guy. I got to see stuff on a board because I put the board in my mind and I go down the board in my mind. To just hear things without putting it on the board, not so good. I don't know how you guys are built, but try to build this, this guy, this image in your mind. And to start off with, the head is of pure gold. And then followed by the... The arms and the chest are made of silver, followed by his torso and the thighs would be of bronze. Now, it says brass in King James, but bronze is probably more accurate. Then you have two legs and the toes, ten toes. Those are described as iron. First of all, the, the legs are of iron, and the toes would be a mixture, which is interesting. Have you ever tried to bond Iron and clay together? It doesn't work. There's no bonding. There's no binding there. They're very separate. They have, you, can't, you could heat up the clay or the mud. Wouldn't help. Doesn't, they don't go together, which will make sense as we go on. Now, it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar does not say a single word because they have nailed this dream. There's no question... I mean, I think in one way his mouth is open and he's just like, that's exactly what I saw. Now, do you think you could trust Daniel to tell you the interpretation if he told you the dream? I'm going to listen in to this guy because if he can tell me the dream, I think he could probably tell me the interpretation. And so he goes. What he's describing for us is literally four world kingdoms. And it goes on to say in the interpretation in verse 36, this is the dream, and we will tell the interp... Now, wait a minute. Who's we? Who's we? I'm fairly certain that those three guys that went to prayer with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they also came with him in the interpretation. And the other thing I'm sure was there was God was with them. He was absolutely there. So now he says, verse 37, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Now, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar's fine with that. So on this, on this overarching image of this powerful, awesome, bright individual statue that they it's not really a statue, this, this image that he sees, Daniel has just told him that the head made of pure gold is Nebuchadnezzar. That sounds really good. That sounds fantastic. I'm not, I'm not the head, you know. And, and by the way, that is the only, that's the only kingdom that's described that is a one-man deal. The only monarchy described. And Nebuchadnezzar was that guy. There wasn't anything that he wasn't in charge of. In fact, it's, it's given to the text here, if he would have really tried to go out and conquer the rest of the world, it would have been his because God said it was his. He was happy with what he had, apparently, as much as one man could actually do. But then he goes on to say, now watch, there's not much said. Again, how much would have Daniel known about the future right now? Very little. 
He sees, he's seeing what he sees, but to name the name, in fact, let's talk about what happens next. Of these four kingdoms, which are later described as history unfolds, see, for us, we can turn around and go back and look. For Daniel was looking forward, and all he could see was Nebuchadnezzar. But now he says in verse 38, whoops, 39, and after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee. That's all he says. He says no more. So now for us to turn back and look and see, what was the next kingdom that followed that of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, which lasted about 80 to 90 years? What was the next one that came along? No. No. There we go. We were going to get there eventually. We are going to get there eventually. But it would have been a long time if we could. No, I'm not going to go on until we get this. The Medes and the Persians. In fact, we find them in chapter 5 of Daniel. Guess what? The very end, and this is what's so cool about Daniel. This guy is a high-level player in several different administrations or even reigns of different kings. And so here he is in Belshazzar. I don't want to take any thunder away from chapter 5 because we're going to roll into it. Belshazzar, he's kind of a, he's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And he's a spoiled, rotten brat. And he lives it to the house. In fact, he's, they've taken some of these uh, utensils that came from the Jerusalem uh, temple, the temple, and he's making, he's having a drunken orgy out of it. And all of a sudden, this will mess with your head, is there's a hand that's writing on the wall, and all you see is the hand, and you see it written, and it's writing right in front of you. That'll take the edge off. It'll get quiet in a room. I guarantee it. And on that very night, the Medes and Persians conquered the Babylonians. And Daniel spoke of that event right there. Again, at that event, it was the same thing. Composure and courage just stood right out. The Medes and Persians, well, they actually, their kingdom lasted from 538, 536, right in there, to 331 B.C. Uh, it's amazing, over the course of, of, uh, of history, most powerhouses last about 200 years. And I, I hear that, and you know what immediately goes to my mind? Us. Thank you. <laughs> America. Oh, beautiful. Of spacious skies, right? 1776, add 200 years. Oh, we're over the 200-year mark. <laughs> do we act like we're over the 200-year Yes, we do. In fact, I'm going to read you something. Uh, something was a, a guy had written when the 13 colonies, I mean, that's a few years back, just the 13 colonies had, had gathered here on the shores of what is known as America today. And he said something that was very dis- succinct. But I'm going, to, I'm going to wait for that for a little bit. About 200 years. Well, the Medes and Persians, now they would have made up what would have been the chest and the two arms. And it was interesting. It was made up it, the Medes and the Persians. It was, it, was, it was a divided kingdom, if you will. And then again, it speaks of a kingdom, not a king, but a kingdom. Then he goes on and he says in verse 39, there was another third kingdom of brass or bronze, which shall bear rule over all of the earth. Now that's interesting how he says that, because that would have been, someone has stated it already, the third kingdom that we know. And again, we have the advantage of going back and seeing history. Okay, we can see how this unfolds. And there have really been just four kingdoms, complete, in-control kind of kingdoms, from 605 B.C. going to today. It, there is no more. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Here we are in 2020, and we've never exceeded the last one, which we haven't come to, but the third one was what? Greece. Greece. And who was that, that famous leader? Alexander, Alexander the Great. 
He was quite a goer, wasn't he? He literally conquered the world. We could go into his exploits. I, I, not today. We don't have quite enough time. But it, he literally just, with lightning speed, and interestingly enough, as we get into chapter 7 of Daniel, this is from the man's perspective, the Gentile's perspective of these kingdoms. It's from Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. But now you're going to see it from God's eyes in Daniel's vision in chapter 7. The same thing. But one of the animals that is, that is shown to Daniel to typify the Grecian empire is a leopard. And how fast can they move? Really fast. That's exactly, he, he just was lightning speed on how he literally canvassed the entire world. It was the largest portion of the world ever to be conquered by one man. And he was bored out of his mind when he finished. And he says, that's it? There's no more worlds to conquer? And the man died at 33 years of age. A drunken glutton. There was nothing left for him to do. Think of that. Now, again, did you see, it wasn't that he was that great, that powerful. God gave the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. He gave the kingdom to the Medes and Persians. He gave this kingdom to Alexander the Great. He gave this kingdom to the Romans. And ultimately, we won't get to it today, but the last kingdom, the fifth one, hasn't happened yet. The one that, the end of end, the king of kings, the lord of lords. I don't even want to talk too much. We're going to take it into next week. But literally, that stone that is made without hands speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, and let's talk about the fourth empire first. After Greece, what happened then? The Romans. The Roman Empire. And we, our, book, our history books are full of them. It lasted the longest. Literally in the western part, it lasted for 500 years. And it was all, all, all the way until like 1453 till Constantinople took them out. I mean, it's, it's, and its height, it was amazing. And how did it topple? From within. From within. Much like what's happening in America today. We're resisting truth. We've rejected truth now. And we're paying the price. Very same thing in Rome on the inside. Morally, they just were completely bankrupt. And they just, it's almost like a tree. Have you seen a tree that is just so, so majestic, so powerful? And here comes a windstorm and blows the thing. And you look at, well, it's all rotten inside. Can't withstand the pressures. That's exactly what's happening to any nation, literally, that despises or rejects truth. In fact, I've just thought of something now. Hold your place here. Let's go look. This would be pertinent for us today. Let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul is writing this to his young friend, Timothy, the one that he's mentoring. And he says this. This describes for us the perilous last days. See if you recognize some of these particular things in our world today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Does that sound like 2020? It's so spot on. Every single one of those we could just describe. I'm going to leave it at that because it describes where we're at. And that's the last days, isn't it? It's totally the last days. Now, the Roman Empire, like I said, lasted a very long time. In fact, it kind of like just, just faded away. And you know, nothing has ever risen to take its place. They were never conquered. And then it speaks of those 
two legs, because they had Western and Eastern empires, shall we say, of the Romans. And then you go into the ten toes. Let's, let's read about that for a second. Verse 40, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh into pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all of these shall break it in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves together with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And we've already talked about that. That would describe very much, when you take our world today. Now, I, oh, let's, let's talk about something else. We kind of missed it in the, so we start with gold. What do you know about gold? Let's talk about gold. Doesn't tarnish. And it's expensive, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's outrageous. I mean, you just... And, and there, was, there was a guy, a historian that went to view Babylon after the hundred years of Nebuchadnezzar were over. And he said in his writings, I cannot believe how much pure gold stuff was there. It was outrageous, the wealth and the prestige and the untarnishment, if you will, of that gold. Now, so let's think... I want you to think about this now. I'm, now, I just think about stuff like this. So if you have a statue standing up, the goal would be for it to stay standing, correct? What's important? Let's take a house for a moment. How important is the foundation? If you're a builder, it's really important. You don't have any foundation, there's, nothing, there's no point going on. In fact, Jesus even talked about that in a parable. Someone built, built his house upon the sand. How long did that last? Not very long. Now, how much fun is it to build a foundation? I was that guy when I was, uh, before I, well, actually, actually, after Lisa and I got married, my skill set in building is very limited. I was never a carpenter. I beat nails. That's what I did. But even then, the guy that I worked for, which is a great boss, he never even let me do that very often. I would be the guy that was on site digging the foundation, right? He says, Larry, just do, and it, it, no, no problem, that's fine. But, you know, I, after the course of watching that, the importance of the foundation is indisputable. Without a foundation, you literally have nothing. Certainly can't take any pressures of any kind of weather, any kind of shifting, nothing. Now, keeping that in your back of your mind, so the gold, which is the most, I mean, that's the most awesome part of this, it's brilliant. It just speaks as you look at that, and the gold is just outstanding. Followed by silver. What do you know about silver? It does tarnish. What else about it? It is soft. What about gold in the sense of that? It's very malleable, isn't it? Gold is very, very malleable. It's very soft. In fact, it's said that you could take one ounce of gold. Are you ready for this? And you could actually make a wire 50 miles long out of a single ounce. That's a tiny wire. I just as soon have the ounce myself. But that gives you an idea of the malleability of the gold. Silver is not nearly that way. And silver is an interesting, but it would still be a precious metal, right? Very much so. The Medes and Persians, they made everything out of silver. They had silver everywhere. And this, see, what's interesting is Daniel doesn't know this. 
He doesn't know the Medes and Persians. In fact, if we were going to talk about them, they were just kind of a rumbling. You know, they, they were a nation, or, or a people were just kind of rumbling in Babylon's empire. And then, you know what? Those, uh, the Grecians, that was kind of like an overzealous village. There was nothing going on. And the Romans, they weren't, they weren't even thought of at this point. That's what even makes this, this prediction unbelievable almost. But let's go back. So silver, a precious metal, but not nearly as valuable as gold. In other words, we all know well enough to know if you have an ounce of silver and an ounce of gold, which would you take? Gold. The gold. Okay, that's what I want in your mind, okay? Now, I'm leaving something out specifically, but let's keep going. Now, bronze, what do you know about bronze? It's very durable, isn't it? Very durable. In fact, the Grecians, that was their thing. They had shields, everything, and the, the warriors, they looked like this bronze army coming at you, right? probably fearful just watching this thing approaching you in the sun, right? It would just like, whoa, what is that? But is bronze in comparison to gold? How would you say it? Not nearly as valuable, correct? Not nearly as valuable. And then we go into the Roman Empire, which is described as iron. Iron. What do we know about iron? Literally everywhere, isn't it? It's all over the place. Now, and then clay. <laughs> That's the one that to me is like, Oh, my goodness, right? It shouldn't, even be on, it shouldn't even be there. You got gold, silver, bronze, clay. That doesn't even fit it's so bad, right? Let's think about now the sturdiness of this. And, and by the way, this is the overarching theme. The diagram of this is the times of the Gentiles. I should, let's just take a little bit of a, a parenthesis and back out for a second. Let's say slip into Daniel's uh, sandals for a moment. He and his friends have been taken hostage. The nation, and the nation Israel is, is split into two pieces. There's the is, Israel, which would be the northern kingdom. They're already gone. 722 B.C., that was 100 years before, and the Assyrians had taken them away. That was a previous kingdom that the Babylonians conquered in 605. Well, actually, a little bit before that. They were gone, done and gone with. And then Judah, the last remaining part of the, of the Israelites, of the Jews, in 605, they started to take these hostages. Now, if you were a Jew, what would you be thinking right now? I wonder if God's done with us. This is not looking good. <laughs> right? I mean, I'd be thinking that. Daniel particularly, right? What, what's going to happen to us? You know, we haven't had a vision lately. And all of a sudden, this vision was, came through Nebuchadnezzar, but it was also something that was of extreme importance to the Israelites, that God was not finished with them. This will make more sense next week when you look at that last kingdom. But literally, there's something here that defines for the Jews, God's not done with us yet. There's a, going to be this big parenthesis of which we're still part of. From that day in 602, I'm going to say, because when this dream was given, I'm taking 605, taking three years off. And of course, BC, you go the other way. So this was three years after they were captured. And that day when Nebuchadnezzar dreamed this dream, from there until now and beyond... We're in the times of the Gentiles. The Jews have been set aside. You remember when Jesus said, and uh, that's like in uh, Matthew chapter 24, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, that I would have gathered you as a mother hen would, took, would take it or chicks, but you would not, and you will not see me in the day, day, basically, until you see me as Lord, as Messiah, which will come when? When is that day coming? At the very end of the tribulation period, which hasn't started yet, 
It's a seven-year period that God is working exclusively with the Jews. The times of the Gentiles, literally, at the very end would be at the end of the tribulation when this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one, the stone that is cut without hands, will come and completely annihilate all of the Gentiles completely at the end of the tribulation. And that's when the Jewish kingdom, the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, will rule and reign forever. In this short dream, all of that is seen, which literally is going to take up more than 2,600 years. Now, I do think as, we're, as each day that goes by, does it not look like we're a lot closer to the end? I mean, it is amazing. What I'm calling it now, you know, is the COVID, is it in, is it in, in Revelation? Is COVID somewhere in the, in, the, in the prophecy? I don't think so. But the thing I do see is that when it talks about in Matthew chapter 24 of pestilence coming in the tribulation, it's like the shadow. Have you, have you seen your shadow before you were there? Sometimes you, you, we're a little fearful. I see shadows of something and I don't know what it is. What is that? And it's moving, right? Well, I would have to say where we're at today and, and you look at the whole underlying of what's taking place in our nation across this world, the lawlessness, the chaos, all of these things that are ramped up. And, you know, thinking of, of the clay and the iron, that's very, very distinctly of where the world we find ourselves in today. There's a lot of authority, authority, but it's not being mixed with the people. There's a distinct falling away of the opinions between nations that are being pulled apart. That's what's going on today. Now, I call it a shadow that precedes what is spoken of us in Revelation. We're seeing a lot of these things that are making sense. Uh, There's a guy, uh, the World Economic Forum. There's a guy by the name of that, by Kloss. What is his last name? I think I wrote it down somewhere. This, I, this, this is remarkable. I'm going to find it for you because I wrote it down somewhere. Um, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum. And he's been talking about, now there's this great global reset coming. They speak of it. Coming in like 2021 is what it's perceived to be. And it, I, I can't get into too much of it, but one of the things that Klaus Schwab is really purporting and is very excited about is implantable chips that can literally know your thoughts. I'm not into that. I'm not into that. You'll start to see now the, the ramped up exclusivity or the, I, I would see the press of vaccines. Okay? What I'm concerned about is not the vaccines. I'm concerned about the nanotechnology that can be put in the vaccines, which literally can alter your entire persona. <laughs> We're close. Now, that would be very comparable to what if you read in Revelation, the mark of the beast accepting that from the one world government, that one world guy. Now, you said, wait a minute, Larry, did you just set all of this, this, this disruption and this pulling away, pulling of nations? That's true. In fact, we'll find in uh, Daniel chapter 7 and even Revelation, those ten toes will be ten. And you know what we want? We usually say ten nations or ten kingdoms, which again, the Roman Empire was never conquered. It was never vanquished. You can't find that. It kind of went into hibernation. And, you know, you pop out here, pop out there, but it's never been conquered. There's a reviving of that, probably, which would have been, it's been suspected, the European Union, the Economic Union, right? Okay. Now, how many, are, how many nations are in the Economic Union today? Quite a few. Yeah, a lot more than 10. In fact, it's, I think it's 27. UK pulled out. I think it's 27. It's either 27 or 28. So, you know, right away you're saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, well, it doesn't matter when. It's, it is when we get to the very end. 
Okay? But the other thing I want to point out, it's not 20, I'm sorry, it's not 10 nations. It's 10 kings. Think of that. That's the difference. Because you could have 10 prominent kings, even though you would have more nations. And I went through the list today of those that are in the EU. There's some of like Slovakia. I'm not too concerned about that leader. You, you see what I'm saying? My whole point, I don't have anything against him or her. I don't know that. But, but my point is this. It's the 10 rulers, those 10 kings, when they come together and consolidate some sense of overarching power. And out of those comes this one guy. And he is Mr. Smooth. He has everything under control. He says, COVID, Shmomid, whatever mid we're in right then, we can handle it because I'm the guy. I got stuff that you didn't even know about. I've got money. I've got resources. I've got everything imaginable that we can conquer this because we are in charge. That's what we're headed towards. And now step, take a step back. Isn't that what people want today? Yeah, build back better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're ripe for it. And that's, that's why I keep saying, are we there? I'm not saying that. But you can see the shadow now, can't you? You can read the signs. You can read... When I was a kid and somebody talked about Mark of the Beast 666, which is just short of God's perfect 777, there was no way. I mean, it was just like it was out there. Friends, there's multiple technologies that that could be enacted with today. Not just one. It's there now. And to think that Daniel is interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar about this 2,600 years ago. And then somebody wants to tell me the Bible's not true. Go get a number and stand in line because we can work on it because the Bible written by 40 different authors, and I'm saying I should say writers, God is the author of his word, over 66 books, over the course of, you ready, 1,500 years. If I had this group right here, I wanted you to write just one book, one book, and I, you were all separate, but it, when we got done independently, it would all have to make sense. <laughs> You'd say, not a chance. You're right, not a chance. And yet, the Word of God, the Bible, literally, under 1,500 years of time, 40 different writers, 66 different books, and it fits together just like that. That's amazing. That's what makes this prophecy even more amazing when we watch how this all is fitting together even today. Now, let's come back. See, I have this way of doing this. I'll jump off over in this branch, and then somebody's <laughs> got to roll me in, and then I come back. So let's talk about our foundation. One of the things that I think is important, and you've described for us the value. Obviously, gold more valuable, silver less value, bronze less value, iron less value, clay even worth less. I don't get excited about clay. It's mud. That's what you just call what it is, right? Not a lot of value. What's the strongest? Iron. iron. So that's interesting. We went from value top down, but as the value went down, the strength got stronger until we have the clay that's just on the bottom, on the toes, and we're trying to intermingle that. It's not working, which would be a problem in itself already, right? But now let's start working with the weights because I would want to have the heavy stuff down low because if you have wind, we get a little wind around here, right? I don't want the heavy stuff on top. I want it down there where we've got the, the, the center of gravity, okay? So what is let's, – so let's talk about specific – Weights or specific, uh, yeah, specific uh, gravity. What is, uh, what is gold? Anybody know? You got your little periodic chart in your head and you go zoom and it goes, you everybody shaking their head no. 
Well, good, because I anticipated a little bit of that. So uh, specific gravity of gold is 19.3. What were you, you going to say? I was going to say that. Thorin Dillon has done something, Atomic 76. That's admitted after gold. I don't know for sure what that was. Kind of yeah, that was okay, but it was a good guess. It was a good, it was a good guess, but it was wrong. See, that, I just asked the wrong question, right? That's, that's a lot of times the answers are right. The questions are wrong, right? So, okay, so we got, so let's keep track now. Um, I'll just write these down. So gold is 19.3, okay? Silver, you guys want to take a guess? Not bad? Higher, lower? Julie said 16. Boy, you guys are a really aggressive bunch of going on this stuff. It's actually 10, 10.5, okay? Then we've got bronze. What's its specific weight? Nobody's going to guess. <laughs> okay, let's see if we're getting, excuse me? 25. 25, that is wrong, but that was a nice guess, okay? But it, it actually is 8.5. Do you see a trend going on here now? It's going down. <laughs> it's going down. Okay, so iron. That's not bad. It's 7.6. So look at that. You were just about there. And then clay, good old clay. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, you're amazingly close. I think I would give that to you. It's 1.9. 1.9. Okay, so now for those of you builders out there, we know we've got a problem. We are what would be described as very top-heavy. It wouldn't even take a wind to blow this down. And when you think about it, again, this is, a, this is a diagram or a picture that's seen from a Gentile's eyes. This is from the human side of things. It's amazing the thing stands up long enough to look at it. And look where we are today. We're down around here with the clay, which is another thing. Do you think we're getting close? I think we're really close. I think we're really, really close. This whole thing is going to fall down. Now, see, if you're an evolutionist, if you're someone that thinks every generation we just get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and you're going on for infinity, that person needs help. Because apparently we'd have to take our guy and shift him upside down so he's standing on his head. We'll work that way, right? That's not how it works, though. Every 10 years it goes by. Sometimes it's hard for us to mark a single year. Think, think of America for a moment. We didn't all of a sudden just January. Well, when did this thing hit us? Uh, February? March? Yeah, March. That was really, it was really definitive in March, wasn't it? So I'm going to take a step back. Do you think we just fell apart in January? No. No, 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 no. It started back a ways. And yes, the COVID thing is what pressed us. That was something from the outside that showed us who we really were. Right? It's amazing how crisis, see this word, crisis really starts to show who we are. But you know when it started? It was probably back in the 1950s and 60s. I'm just saying, it, was, it became very noticeable. We could go all the way back to the 20s. And even we could go back, technically, we could go back in the 1800s. Okay. We could even go back to 1776 because there were some on the constant, who wrote the Constitution that weren't quite up to snuff. Compromise is amazing how it started. But where it was really, really obvious really obvious where we were making huge wrong decisions and i'm saying wrong decisions about truth you will hear me as long as i'm able to be with with a voice i will talk about truth because truth is where it's all at jesus says the truth shall set you free he said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes out of the father by me if you don't have truth you don't have anything in fact 
Let's go. Are you guys, let's go back to, uh, see if I can hold my place. Let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment. I found this interesting. I didn't read it. Let's go back, though. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I read for you how our, our world is melting down. But let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to read a couple more verses for you. This is the description of those in verses 1 through 6. And then watch verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Watch carefully. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, in other words, they were rejecting Moses, who was God's anointed one, shall we say. So do these also, watch, resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, there's a lot of folks today. In fact, if we could write down, again, I love you to read Romans chapter 1. Do it on your own private time. Romans chapter 1, you dial in about verse 18, you go to the end of the chapter. You're going to find three places where God gave them over. The last one that he's given them over to is over to a reprobate mind, which I believe is part of the judgment on America today. A reprobate mind, what do we know about it? It cannot think clearly. It's impossible to think clearly. There are so many people today that have resisted truth or even third generation have resisted truth. Now we can't even know or decipher or discern the difference between truth, truth and a lie. Isn't that something? That's exactly what's happened. In fact, the Gen Zs, which I've talked about a little bit, those are those, the kids that were born in 1996 and on. That's the latest generation. They don't believe that you can even know truth. Isn't that something? Wow. So, in other words, now let's, you play that out. If you can't know truth, then truth doesn't matter. You couldn't say that, right? What is truth in the sense of reality? Truth matches reality. If somebody tells you that they said it's the truth, but it doesn't match reality... It's not truth. That's what's cool about truth. It lines up. That's where we're at in our country today. The Constitution. We have the Constitution on the side of freedom. The Bill of Rights is on the side of freedom. The Constitution Bill of Rights are on the side of the citizens of the United States of America, a republic that's constitutionally minded. The truth is on that side. Isn't that fantastic? And that's why we must never lose faith in doing what our responsibility is and to remain firmly rooted in doing the right thing. That's what Daniel was. I, I just, I love what Daniel, who he was. And every step of the way, he was an amazing individual. Now, let's go back. What was I talking about? Let's, somebody's got to bring me back to speed on Daniel chapter 2. Where were we at? Oh, we were talking about this over here, weren't we? Pacific gravity. I mean, that thing's ready to fall over. Plus the fact it's even worse. You've got a crumbling foundation. The, t- the feet and the toes that, are, that, are, that everything's based on, it's crumbling. It's not even together. This thing is about ready to come down by itself. And then next week we're going to talk about it, but just, just briefly, at the very end, this, there's going to be this revived Roman kingdom. There's going to be ten kings at the very end, and out of that comes this one guy. We talked about him, the Antichrist. Oh, I want to show you something else. Though. I was just thinking about it. This fits well. Let's see if I can find it. I didn't write in my notes. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. And I think we'll find it. I hope I find it. Let's see. Maybe I had it up first. Just hang on. Just enjoy your... Just think about things you can be thankful for while I find this, right? Um, I'm sure it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter where he sends a delusion. Let's see here. There it is. Okay, so let's go to... Now, this is speaking of, again, 
during the time, the tribulation period. But again, I'm, what we're seeing now more prominently, more prevalently, with more pre- is the fact that we're starting to see these shadows, literally the foreshadow of what's going to come. From the tribulation. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. And we see truth again. That they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Oh, did you see that? When they resisted the truth long enough, all of a sudden it becomes easy to believe a delusion. Have you seen or called someone delusional? What's the, de- what's the deal? They can't even see the truth. Isn't that something? What a horrible place to be. One of the things we need to be thankful for today, and I'm going to have a list of things that, we'll be thank- that we can be thankful for today. I can be thankful that we have access to truth. Wouldn't that be something if you couldn't even know truth? How would you like to be wandering through this world? Oh, my goodness. What if God had never decided to tell us the truth? Oh, I I think I'm going to just have you guys find it on your own. Just, you know, you guys are smart people, right? Go find the truth yourself. And there's a lot of people that have been trying to do that apart from God. It's impossible. That's a really bad idea. <laughs> in other words, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it this way. So here we have a hot stove, right? Paul, Paul's sitting over here by a hot stove. It's actually a music stand, but it's really hot. Now, I'm not going to Paul, tell Paul because Paul's three years old. Now, the best thing we can do for Paul, why don't you go ahead and touch that, Paul? Just find out. Now, now Paul, all of a sudden, was, was, that, was, that, was that a real parent thing to do is not to tell Paul? No, of course not. It's the most, it's the most evil thing I can think of is not to express and tell truth that we know. Isn't it true? That was a pun intended there, but you got it. And it goes on and on and on, right? Okay, Larry's getting these rolled back in. Let's reel it back in. Let's go back to Daniel, <laughs> Daniel chapter 2. How's your hand? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, then there's those of us. I wonder if it's the same. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. All righty then. Um, so you can see, even if given, given enough time, this time of Gentiles would literally take care of itself. It would literally just fall down in a heap. But Jesus Christ, at the end of the tribulation, will mow it down. We'll be talking about that next week. And it's amazing as we get off of the gold standard, it's amazing how weak we become in almost everything. Um. Now, that, you know what? Now, we'd say this. Let's take, take a look at this for a moment. Um, the gold, that was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a what? A monarch? Single man rule. You didn't... There, there, yeah, it, totally, completely in a curl. He was a monarch. He, there was nothing... To, you, know, you, didn't, you, didn't walk, you didn't get to walk up to him and say, you know, I think what you did was wrong there. I think you're dead. <laughs> right? That's kind of how the Chinese do it. Okay? Right? Totally, totally in charge, just authoritative, whatever you want to call it. But he was, he was in charge. There was no voting. There was no elections. And that, think about that for a second. Think of that where we're at right now. A free and fair election, how valuable is that to any people? If you have that, I'm going to say this, a right. That is fantastically important. Now, you didn't get to vote. 
You lost if you wanted to vote against him. It was done. It was over. That's how it is in communist countries. You lose. It's over. You go to a concentration camp or you shut up at best. Now, the, the next guys, it was kind of like uh, the Medes and Persians. That was a split sense of authority, wasn't it? There wasn't one. There was two. They worked it out. The Grecians, now Alexander Great, he was a sole operator to, to, to basically capture all of the world. Then it got split into four different generals. And they fought amongst themselves. But there was four of them. Okay? Then you get to uh, the Romans. And we had our emperor, uh, what did they call it? Emperor. Caesar, there you go, thank you. Caesar, and he was kind of a big powwow, but he had a senate. There was a division of powers. And then this down here, we started getting into the clay where this intermingle stuff. You'd have to come up with democracy, wouldn't you? Now, there's a lot across the world that would say democracy is the greatest thing. God's not a democratic kind of a guy. And I didn't mean it by saying democratic republic. I'm democracy-oriented. Why not? Because democracy is mob rule. If the mob's right, it's great. If the mob's wrong, it's horrible. Think of the mob as they went. There was 12, 12 spies went in to check out the land of Canaan. God took one from each tribe. That was kind of cool. That's called representative, isn't it? There was probably more people in each one of the tribes, but each tribe got one vote, one guy. And they go together, and they go out, and they scout out the land of Canaan. And they come home, and they vote. And democratically, they weren't supposed to go in there because it was 10 to 2. But God doesn't count it that way you need to get on his side you get to get on his team to figure out what's right the 10 were wrong the two were right see we're fast approaching in our nation today that the majority isn't really right in fact that's how we lead now i still remember it was president cart or not president carter president uh, clinton on one occasion i don't even know what it was about it does not matter but it was something that stuck in my mind they said why did you choose to do this and he said i took a poll oh that's not how we lead Right? In other words, let's think about this now. If we take a poll on what we think Daniel chapter 2 is okay, and we, and we had a poll amongst you guys, and 50% of you said, I don't think it's right. So, oh, well, I can't teach that then. We missed it, right? Truth isn't determined by a democracy. I was watching yesterday that Harvard was on the news. They were trying to eliminate this conservative, anybody can Reason being, they said, because they want the kids all to come with open minds, so they can, <laughs> so they can make decisions on their own. <laughs> perfect. Exactly perfect. Yeah, about. perfect. In fact, speaking along that line, uh, this has been some time ago now, but like in the 1990s, in the sense of professor, uh, uh, what we would call—I'm going to leave it just easy terms—liberal uh, professor. I'm sorry, a conservative compress. A con- <laughs> okay, whoop, runner back. Confer- con- <laughs> One more time. Conservative professors. There we go. How are you guys doing? You were right there before I was. I'm sorry. I was getting ahead of myself. Uh, conservative professors versus a liberal professor. Okay. In the 1990s, it was about one conservative to seven liberals. Okay. And it is what it is. I mean, whatever. Do you know what it is today? It's one to 70. Now, see, you can't even have a natural course of debate when you have that much of a slant at that point. You can't, even, you can't even have a healthy dialogue, correct? And that's one of the things that's maybe made our country good over the years is the fact of that back and forth being able to, to work things out. In fact, one of the best, board, boards that I, the best boards that I ever serve on are the ones that have very different viewpoints.
because they're going to see it differently than I do. And as long as you have the freedom, this is important, listen very carefully, as long as you have the freedom to truly brainstorm. And what I mean is, I can put my ideas out on the table and not be condemned for them. Because if everybody can put their ideas on the table, then we can start to glean through that and see what's best for the organization of which we're serving. See, that's a key component. I've been on boards that I was very open to be able to do that. There was other boards I've been on I was never felt free enough to be able to do that. Where I'm not able to brainstorm, or anyone is not able to brainstorm, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. And see, our nation today has not become at all healthy in the sense of the way we dialogue amongst ourselves. You can't even get there. Okay, how did I get down this trail? This is another tree that I dug off on a branch. Paul, it must be your fault, right? Okay, did we, f we figured out that guy's going to fall over. Um, it, it is interesting, though, that um, as we've went from precious or value to less valuable, the one thing that we do see as well, though, is we went from more malleable or less strength to a stronger, a more iron type or a more fixed, a more, I'm going to say, just classically strong uh, in the sense of the government itself. Very irresistible. Okay, and that's why, again, we have the, you see it across the news today. I watched some clips this morning of the tension that's being between government and citizens today. It's intense. It'll get worse. It'll get worse. In fact, I'm convinced it'll get so bad that we'll really, really, not we, but I should say they will really, really want that one person that can bring solidarity, that can bring union, that can bring protection, that can bring softness. They'll give up anything to have that person that can fix all of that stuff. And his name is? Antichrist. He's coming. He's coming. Here's the other thing that I think is really, really important for Nebuchadnezzar is the fact this. I bet he was just, he was just going crazy trying to remember this dream because it distressed him immensely. I believe God withheld it from him because when Daniel said it, he says, that's it. And when he said it's that's it, if he said, if Daniel can tell me the dream, I'm more than likely going to trust him with what it means. I think that was a gift from God all the way through. And, and for us today, you're sitting here today in 2020. This prophecy is outstanding. It's amazing. I mean, it's still unfolding perfectly. I mean, I'm, you know, we're waiting for, I'm waiting for these 10 kings. These 10 leaders that are kind of confederate, kind of form a confederacy. I don't think we're far off. And then that one smooth guy just kind of rises to the top. We're not far off, people. We're already down there at the toes, right? Do you see how fragile we are as a, as a world? I would have never believed in the United States of America in one year, less than one year, from January 1st, if one of you would have come to me and said, Larry, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in this year in 2020. I would have said, you need to write books. You've got an imagination that is amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it. And that's how we, that's the one I want, I want to see how fragile we are as, as, a, as humans, as a race, not, not, not a race, as a, as a people. We are so fragile in the sense of depending upon our own stuff. Isn't it crazy? Man, we need to be on our knees every single day. Every day. Okay, we're running out of time now. Imagine that. Um, let's see, I'm just going to go through a few notes here. Uh, 
Thank you. Well, we've talked somewhat about that. That's good. I think we're just going to move into... Uh, I'm going to start you off. This is your homework. Is uh, what are we thankful for? Let me get you started. Or are you guys ready? You want to give me one? What are you guys thankful for? We are. Since March. Wow. What is she, what is she doing? Uh, kind of listening to podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where does she live? Where does she reside? Outside of Fort Collins. Has not been able to go to church since March. Who would who would have ever thought that we would have be that privileged to be able to meet regularly? In church. Again, I would not have believed that. Great. That, that, that's an absolutely great one. Being able to just go to church. Now, again, take your Bibles. This is, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep pounding this in. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Paul, if you'll look that up and then just read it for us, because that that verse is really what this is all about. And think about this. Now, Daniel is talking about the times of the Gentiles as being the latter days. That's what it's described as. The latter days will end when Jesus Christ conquers the entire, all of the Gentile kingdom, which is the end of the tribulation. That's the end of it. Now watch what Paul read verses. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, which was written a long, long time ago as well. Probably, I don't know when that was written. Probably Probably 120 AD, probably. A couple thousand years ago. Okay, so let's go. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And read and, and pay particular attention to these things. Here we go. And let us consider how we may spur, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? That's right. It'd be during the last days. In fact, some of your, your versions may have that, especially in the last days. If it's ever been more important for us to meet together. See, we, we're energized. That's what brings energy. That's, a, that's a, actually a wonderful. What's another one? What are you thankful for today? The Bible. The Bible. Absolutely. The truth, right? The Bible. Yeah, what, what if God put, put us on a treasure hunt? Okay, there's one Bible, and I buried it on the planet Earth. You need to find it, and then you can reproduce it, but you got to find it first. No clues. Oh, my goodness, right? How many Bibles aren't used? Excuse me? Come to Manida. Come to Manida. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Somebody needs a Bible. I tell you what, i got some Bibles too, and that's how God speaks. He speaks through his word. In fact, we were talking about it on True Seekers on uh, Thursday night. Uh, Romans 10, 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. How are we saved? By grace. I'm sorry. For by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. By grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. And that all comes how? From the word of God. Excellent. Number one. Another one. You guys are doing good. Salvation. Absolutely. You know, that's, and then I, there's one that goes right with that. You know, I, I guess I would describe myself as a patriot. 
I believe, I believe in, a, in our, our nation. I believe in America. I believe uh, I've had forefathers that have served in the Army that have, have given everything that they've had. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm here. But I'm really, my citizenship ultimately is in heaven. That's my home, and it can't disappear. They can't ever take that citizenship from me. Amen. That is my permanent homeland because of salvation, and that's because Jesus Christ died for my sin. He died for your sin. And think of that. God the Son came to earth in the flesh. He called me Emmanuel, God with us, where we could finally see what God looked like. We could see what God acted like. We could see what God loved like. We could see what God really was. He gave his own life for me and for you. That's to be thankful for. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah. Now, and there's two, two aspects of that. Uh, we, we love to, now we see we've erased this from Daniel, but what he did last week, well, not last week, but we studied last week, is the fact that he and his three buddies could go to God in prayer. That opportunity, 24-7, 365, as many years as you can keep, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'm low, I'm with you always. Now, we may be, like, for instance, Daniel was a long ways away from his home. Daniel was a long ways away from his parents. Daniel was a long ways away from anything that he saw as being godly, but he was never very far away from God. Neither are you. God is always close. And the other part of that is that your prayers are answered. Prayer. The nice thing about prayer is, is, it sets your will in line with God's. What else? Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to say long-suffering. I'm going to say, because patience in our world, it takes trials to receive patience. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. God is not patient. Did you know that? Because if we said God was patient, that means he had to go through trials to get patient. God doesn't go through trials, but he is very long-suffering. Let's go to, in fact, go to 2 Peter, somebody, 2 Peter chapter. This, this really ties together nicely. Thanks for bringing it up. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's read verses 8 and 9. Now, look at the, think of the word long-suffering in that text. Somebody got it? Anybody? 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Don't be shy. Okay, now in that term, they use patience. The long-suffering is a more correct, but either way, did you see that? God is long-suffering with us enough to say that he wants all of us to come repentance and be saved. That, I'm so glad, as Joshua said, that he is long-suffering. He's not going to sell anybody out early. Now, I will say this, there will be a day that will be too late. That's one of the things I'd have a thankful, thank, thankful that it's not too late to get saved. That day is approaching. After when that, when that stone that's cut without hands, at the end of the tribulation, there's that moment, that day, and it's too late. It's over. There's no chance. Or if your life ends, what else could we say? A couple more, and then we're going to, because I'm running out of time. Yes? I'd like to say that companionship and fellowship with one another. If we didn't have that, it's almost like going to church. Yeah, fellowship. Fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek term. Koinonia, that togetherness, that sharing, intimate sharing. See, that's, that, and now isn't that something that's happened to us as a nation right now? 
Now, I want to be careful. I want to be careful where I go with this. But do you see the longer that we, that we are in this mode of separation? One of the saddest things I saw was a picture. This was way back in March or April. And they had, this was in Europe somewhere, and they had six-foot cubicles drawn out with chalk. And, there, and this picture was of these, this, these are like, I'm going to say four or five-year-olds. And they're, they're sitting in this square, and they can't, and then, of course, they, there, was, there was not a kid in every square. They skipped squares. That's not the way God made us. Koinonia. That's one of the things I've shared this with you before. We used to, when we were in Miles City, nothing wrong with the city of Miles City. It's great. We went to a church, uh, Grace Bible Church. And if they're listening to this, I hope they don't take this wrong. But we sat in the back as we always came last. You've noticed, and I remember the first one. Have you noticed? Anybody notice that? We're always late. Okay. So we would sit, you know, where in the back, in the back row. So it's, you know, that's a catchy thing. So I caught, sat in the back row. And if you didn't hurry after he said amen, you were the last ones in there. Zoom, they were gone. I love that about this place is the fact fellowship, koinonia. See, you can't actually get to know what someone needs until you know the person that needs. And that's what koinonia is about. Fellowship is so vitally important, especially in our world today, right? Oh, my goodness. That's a good one. How about another one? We can get to 10. We got to get to 10, right? So let's hurry. You guys are going to have to hurry. 10. Families. That's right. Families. Think of that. Now, I want to talk about something. I, I can't reveal. I was on the, I was on the phone with a, with a guy this week that I ended up praying with. We were on the phone a very long time. Uh, tough family stuff going on. I'm not, how am I going to get there real quick? But just this fact of who, when, we, when we've been saved because of what God the Father did for us through God the Son, thinking of our spiritual family. And this was a breakdown between a father, a biological father, and his son. And this little boy couldn't understand why his dad didn't love him enough to be with him. Okay? Got that for a minute? Who would be better to show us the love of a father than our father God? He sent his son to die for us. Oh, my goodness. You talk about a, understanding a family relationship. Sometimes, and sometimes it takes that. Some of you, maybe in your past, in your home life, there's been something that's broken your home. In fact, that's, that's one of the things that's happened to America is the traditional family has been broken apart, destroyed. Our spiritual father sometimes is the only thing we've got to cling to, but he's family. Okay, how about another one? Two more. I had one here that I didn't think anybody would get. I'll maybe throw that one up there. Somebody's got one. Uh, you guys ready for this one? This one's not one that's going to be on your list. Thank God that he gives us trials to make us stronger. <laughs> and everybody said amen. No. <laughs> it is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Trials to make us strong. Now, trials not to make us weak. In fact, how would you know how strong your faith is unless it was tried? <laughs> All by yourself, right? Yeah. That's right. It's, and it doesn't become stronger unless it's tested. I think of you and you guys that are really good at what you do. Okay, let's think of that. If you're a builder, whether you're... In fact, I'm even thinking of Seth. How, how long have you been working with GrowSafe? Two and a half years. From the day that you stepped on with those guys to where you are today, what made you better? Practice, trials, experience. It's the same as a Christian. How do you get better? Trials. 
Thank goodness for trials. They make us better. You guys didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> A couple more, then we'll stop. You guys got a lot of them that I had. Excuse me? Excuse What was that? Puppy dogs. Puppy dogs. Puppy dogs. That would be a byproduct, probably. It's on there some. And, and by the way, nothing wrong with dogs. I think it's, I think it's great. God, God gave them to us. Yeah, there you go. All right. That he is faithful. That's one of them I had on here. That God is faithful. God's faithfulness. See, that's one of the things for me that, and it goes along with the fact of saying, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, somebody, we just gloss over that. But I'll tell you what, the difference, for instance, if you take someone that believes in, is a Muslim or a, a practitioner of Islam, that's one of the major differences that I would have is the fact that Allah has the ability or the opportunity to abrogate or to change his mind. I can't have anything to do with a God like that because I don't know when he's going to change his mind. Like those that, went to, that flew into the, into the, the, uh, the towers of 911, now on that day, they felt that they knew what Allah wanted, that they would enter paradise and have all of the, whatever the accessories that they were thinking they were going to get, but guess what? A thousand years later, all of a sudden, Allah said, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. I don't think I'm, no, I don't think you're in. Do you see that? God's faithfulness, huge, huge deal. Huge deal. And in fact, let's look at one right here now. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I had, a, I had a dream last night. Do you know what it was? You guys really want to know what it was? I spoke so long that everybody left. So, so I, I, promised, I promised we wouldn't do that. So... Isn't that terrible? It's just terrible. I, I, I woke up in a cold sweat, and I said, what the world? What the world? And I said, that'll never happen. But here we're having so much fun today because fellowship is fun. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at verse 13. This is a fantastic sense of God's faithfulness. And let's start in verse 12, actually. It talks about pride. One of the biggest challenges I think we have as just human beings, because it comes naturally, is that of pride, arrogance. In verse 12, it says, are you all there? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. In other words, he's pretty sure of himself. Now watch verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, God is faithful to provide an escape route every single time. Now, whether you take it or not, I'll say I never tell him all the time. But he was faithful. That's a great one. One more, and then we're going to stop. We, go, go ahead. Absolutely. Galatians 5.22. What did you say? You guys are on the same page? Absolutely awesome. Galatians 5.22. We'll just say fruit of the Spirit. You know, and that is so amazing what that does to your life. And, as, and fruit is meant to share. You don't hoard fruit. You know, the apple tree doesn't say, don't take my fruit. My apples are my apples. No. If you have fruit, you're sharing. And everybody is affected by them in a positive way. I love that. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith against such. There's no law. Fantastic. You got one? Number 11. I got, I got, let's put it number 11. 
Okay. <laughs> He's there. Jesus Christ died for everyone. Yeah. One God, three persons. It's fantastic. Isn't that something? We don't have to look around. You know, think, think of Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babel. Well, it's been in multiple places. I mean, there's, there's literally tens and hundreds of gods, and they've got to figure out which one to worship today. Right. Isn't that a bummer? Oh, got the wrong one today. Okay. Whew. You guys wore out? All right. I'm going to check one more. Oh, there is, there is one. Let's see if you got it here. Going to church, Bible, salvation, prayer, long-suffering, fellowship, family, trials, God's faithfulness, fruit of the Spirit, one God, three persons. I think we're going to end with one more. And it sort of is in there. The one God, is that's kind of in there. But I want to, I want to leave with this. We talked a lot about Daniel chapter 2 today. We talked about really how things are getting more out of control. I mean, there's reason for a lot of people to be fearful. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should be frightened. You should be trembling in your boots. This should get you fired up like you've never been fired up before because it looks horrible. But the really cool thing I can tell you if you don't know Jesus Christ personally is he died for you, number one. And number two, he loves you so much that he died for you. But the other part is is he is in control. He is in control. He is in control. I'm going to put 12 right in the middle. God is in control. And he was in control when Daniel got that dream interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar in 60, I'm going to say 602 BC. He's not any less in control here in the year 2020. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, I'm so glad that I serve that God. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'm wore out, so we're going to stop. How's that? Precious and Holy Father, the God that we want to serve, the one that is supreme, creative, omnipotent, omniscient, in every way sovereign. That's the God we worship. That's the God we praise. That's the God, literally, we love because you first loved us. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, no less God than you, but all God, all man, wearing flesh, to die the perfect sacrificial death, the one that was required to break the chain of sin, to break that bondage that we succumb to that has been plaguing us ever from the first beginning in Genesis 3. Thank you, Father, for taking care of business. Thank you, Father, for even allowing us to have truth, for us to recognize truth through the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts us. Another thanksgiving is the fact that you convict us of sin. Father, there's so many things we need to be mindful of in the sense of thanksgiving. Thank you for starting us with this. I pray for all of those that were not able to be here today that for various reasons, Father, that you would uplift them, hold them to yourself, give them what they need. And Father, we ask that you would just, you know, even today, it seems like right here, someone today has an unspoken request, something that is plaguing them, that is over the top, that they can't handle. Father, may you deal directly and intimately with that person. There's nothing that's impossible for you. May the very warmth of you, Father, touch them. May their love, may your love fully immerse them. Father, we reach out to anyone within hearing of my voice that Jesus Christ 
is the only way to be saved. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes out of the Father but by me. And if you will repent of your sin, asking for forgiveness, simply bowing your heart in humility, accepting that free gift that cost Christ everything, then you become a new creature in Christ. Your faith that was given, by, given to you from God, exercising the grace that he designed for you, becomes yours. And in that simple moment, you have become a brand new person. The benefits, the power, the strength that are God's become yours because he lives within you. He's claimed he's taken residence. He's bought you at a price. Jesus Christ now owns you. Father, we could not be more thankful for all that you've accomplished for us. We humbly bow, thanking you for the book of Daniel and how you spoke to a heathen king 2,600 years ago, describing something that's still in effect, still true, still unfolding. Amazing, amazing God. Father, you've given us each individual journeys. A week from now, we could very be, we could very easily be hundreds and thousands of miles away from one another, but you've brought us here today together to share our lives, to energize one another, as it says in Hebrews 10. 24 and 25. Go with us step by step in our journeys because you have people and places that we are destined to be to bring the gospel of hope, love, and change that is only available through Jesus Christ. We lift up our nation today, Father. We ask for truth and justice to prevail. We think of our military men and women that are serving us even today, those that have given their lives. Father, you would care for them and their families. And now, may Jesus Christ rule and reign. To him we give honor, glory, thanking him for the peace and joy that he gives to us. And these things are in Christ's name we ask. Amen.